Good morning, good morning, welcome. I always love uh, celebrating with families and moments like that, and uh, we are a generational church, and we firmly believe in uh, children that they don't have to wait to be great. They can be a great kid, and I love seeing uh, families just taking moments to dedicate their children. It's always exciting. I love that we get to to do that together. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here. If I hadn't had a chance to meet you, just as Alex said, each and every week, it's always someone's first time. That's a big deal to us, and uh, we're excited that you're here, and if I hadn't had a chance to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service, and so thank you again for being here. Well, we're wrapping up a series. Last week, we ended with chapter six of the book of Ephesians. We've been in a series called United, and today we're kind of wrapping it up and, and really just kind of putting a, a, a bow on it. This is kind of the closing of the United series, and I'm so proud of you. So many of you have taken steps, uh, been a part of uh, not only the weekend, but then many were a part of United small groups and going through uh, the book of uh, Ephesians together, and that's what we loved about this. There's so many different ways that you could engage and be a part uh, what we loved about the small group series was that it wasn't just simply based around the weekend message. You were actually learning how to dive into God's word, unpack the book of Ephesians together. God, what are you speaking to me? How do I live this out in my life? And so it was just a powerful time, and it was encouraging to see so many people taking those steps together, hearing the stories. Uh, again, hearing stories of people serving other people through different uh, intentional serve projects, and there's still serve projects going on. On things that I've heard about that are getting delivered and distributed uh, at the first part of this next week. And so I just want to celebrate you. That's been amazing to see. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, you're going, what is this seal? What does it mean, United? Well, we have been looking at the book of Ephesians, the overarching premise of the book of Ephesians. Paul's writing, and he's writing to a young, influential church, and he has this overarching theme. It's, it's unity. And it's us coming together, being unified. And what does that look like? And, and how do we live that out in different areas of our life? And honestly, we learned a lot of different things. We learned early on in the first couple of chapters that we are in Christ and we're included in Christ. That we can know him better. We, we learned that we are seated with Christ. That we uh, have a part to play. And it's through the church God wants to make an impact and a difference in people's lives. And that we can do that together as the church. We learned that we can be built up. We, we talked about marriages a couple of weeks ago, and two shall become one. And, and then we learned what it looked like last week to be strong in the Lord. What does that mean? What does that look like to be strong in the Lord? I want you to open up your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to get there in just a minute. And so we're going back to chapter 4. And by way of review, chapter 3, we talked about, uh, that's really when we learned about this distribution model that the Lord has called the church. That's what he uses, that we all play a part to be able to impact other people's lives. And then when we looked originally at chapter 4, we highlighted kind of right the middle of the chapter that there's a part that we all play, and my role is to equip you, our team, our staff is to equip you for the work of the ministry, and that when we all play our part, we're strengthened together, and people get to see a measure of the goodness of God. They get to see a measure of Christ through us as we operate in the ways and live out in the ways, in the giftings, in the, the ways in which he designed us, what he's called us to do. 
And so as we look at this, hopefully you've pulled away and you've learned and going, okay, I've learned a little bit more about feeling comfortable about reading the word and I've done this together with people and I've had opportunities to serve. But I know that anytime you come to the end of something, you're always wondering, did I get what I came for? Did I actually like, did I get the thing that I was looking for? You know what I'm talking about. It's like when you go to a Mexican food restaurant, you go for the fajitas but if you're anything like me, you eat your weight in chips and salsa. And you wonder, did I get what I came for? I came for the fajitas, but I ate chips and salsa. Here's my hope that you understand that you got the fajitas through this series. That you understand what it looks like to go, okay, I, I'm, I got what I came for, but how do we know that? How do you check the box? How do you see? Because the Christian life is not just something ethereal. It's not something individual and private where we just kind of work through it on our own. It's something that we experience together. And that's really what Paul is talking about. And he's keying in on the words, even when Jesus said, here's how you will know. Here's how you check the box. Jesus says it this way. He said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. One another. That's, that's the phrase that, that I want you to, to take away. With one another. How do we have unity with one another? Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, this is going to maybe touch on a few tender spots in your life. Because we love the, oh, it's just me and Jesus. You know, when I lived in southeast Louisiana, I had lots of conversations. It was amazing. Deer season and duck season came up. It was like the rapture happened. Boom. Everyone's gone. It's like, and I talked to him. I'm like, hey, T-boy. That's what they call him down there. T means little. Hey, T-boy. Some of you from Louisiana, you remember that. So, hey, T-boy. You know, it's kind of like, hey, T. Hey, B. It's like everyone's got like a, like, even if your name doesn't start with a B or a, or a T or a D, you're like, that's just who you are, you know? You just answer to it, all right? And, and so I t I'm like, hey, man, I missed you this weekend. Oh, yeah, I was out at the hunting camp. I love being out there. When I'm up in that stand, it's just like me and Jay. I feel God the most when I'm up in that deer blind, you know, and I'm just waiting to hit that buck. I was like, that's awesome. That's I mean, that's God's creation. You definitely feel God out there. I was like, but how's it going when you leave uh, on Friday afternoon after work, go straight to the hunting camp from work, and you get back Sunday afternoon? How is it? Uh, how are you feeling, God, with your wife? Is she real thrilled about it? Oh, well, no, she's not real happy about that. I'm like, well, how about you feel God in your marriage as well as at the hunting camp? But let's start with your marriage first. You go, well, how do I know that I got? How do I, how do I know that I'm experiencing God in this way? You see, we, we love just me and Jesus. But here's the reality. We don't live just by ourselves. It's always much more challenging when other people are involved and when you have to take the journey along with other people. It, it, it becomes messy and it becomes difficult. And, and the reason is this is because we all want to make progress and we want to grow. We want to know, okay, did I check the box? Am I getting what I need out of this? Can I apply it to my life? Am I making progress? That's really what we want to know. Am I getting it? Am I getting it? We all want to know that. You know, it, it makes me think of, of YouTube, okay? I, it's amazing how YouTube can be the greatest tool and the biggest trap. You know what I'm talking about if you ever tried to fix something. You're like, how do I fix blank? And you're going to find somebody with some iPhone handheld device, and they decided to record themselves and then do some sloppy editing and go, hey, 
click below for subscribe more if you want to figure out how to, you know, build a house. You know, what a, you can learn anything on YouTube. And I'll be honest, I, I, I have learned a few things. I have fixed a door on my vehicle, okay? I've got like a just classic O2 Toyota Sequoia. I mean, that thing's older than some of your kids, okay? It's older than some of you in here, all right? That handle gets worn out. I learned how to do that. I've done some minor plumbing things here and there, but there comes a point where I know my limits, okay? Where I begin to realize it's kind of the law of diminishing returns. You know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to save a couple hundred bucks, but if I mess this thing up, I could be spending a couple thousand bucks. You know what I'm saying? And, and so you, you go, okay, YouTube, I want, I want to learn. I want to access this. And we live in a day and age where we have access to all sorts of information. In fact, if you like learning, they've even stepped up the game. How many of you have ever heard of Masterclass? You can go on Masterclass. You can subscribe. $15 a month. You can learn how to cook from Gordon Ramsay. You can learn how to hoop. Like Steph Curry. That's what I call him, Steph. We on, you know, I don't call him Stephan, it's Steph Curry, you know. We close because we're in a master class together, right? <laughs> I can learn. He's teaching me. He ain't teaching everyone else that's watching. He's teaching me, okay? I can learn how to write like Malcolm Gladwell. You see, but here's the thing about information and the access that we have is access does not always equal ability. You see, you have access to all the stuff. God, I want, I want to live this out. I want to live out the book of Ephesians. I want to grow. I want to love other people. And I have access to all this stuff. But does it mean I actually have the ability to do those things? You see, we all want to learn. We all want to grow. We all want progress. If I gave a poll to everyone in here, how many of you want to grow? Oh, yeah, me. No one's going to be like, nah, I'd like to not grow. Kind of want to stay mediocre rest of my life. Can I just kind of coast? You know, very few people are going to say that. Everyone wants to grow, but here's the challenge. We don't really like the struggle. You can't grow without a little bit of struggle. And it takes being uncomfortable. It takes stretching. It takes challenging. It takes growth. And you've got to press into that. And you've got to embrace that uncomfortable, uncomfortable nature of being in a place where you don't really know what to do. But if you want to grow... You're going to have to take a step. It's hard. It's challenging. And that's really what Paul is talking about here. He, he, he's looking and saying, I want you to grasp and understand this. But I want you to gain an understanding that growth is slow. You see, there's so many times where I'll speak with business leaders and have conversations. And they're like, Chris, help me navigate this. And this is where I'm at. What's your biggest frustration? And it always comes down to this simple principle oftentimes. Because you meet a certain group of people. They want to grow. They have the drive. They want to get after it. Here's the biggest challenge. Is managing their own expectations. They're not growing fast enough. They're not hitting the bottom line fast enough. They're not hitting that status. That sales quota fast enough. And you become impatient. And you drive. And you go. But growth takes time. How many times have you ever planted an apple seed and you go out the next day and you're expecting a tree bearing apples? Well, that'd be foolish. But that's what we look at in our own life. We wonder, why am I not further along? Why haven't I grown in my relationship with God? Why don't I understand the Bible better? Why am I not a better leader, a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother? Why, why, why? Hey, listen, manage your own expectations. It takes time. 
It, it, if it's slow, it's for show, okay? It's going to take time. If it's fast, it don't last, okay? You got to grow and just be patient in the process. And that's what I want you to get because you go, how do I navigate that? Then I want to grow and they're struggling. And I, that's me. I don't really like the struggle. It's uncomfortable. But here's what I want you to get. Here's what's going to help you. Just remember, it's always a process. And here's the thing about a process. On the other end of a process, there's always a promise and a payoff. But when you're in the middle of the process, there's two things you're always going to experience. Pain and peace. It's painful when you're in the middle of a process. God's doing things in you. He's pulling things out of you. He wants to put things in you. It's a struggle. It's uncomfortable. You got to deal with things. You got to grow, which means you got to face things in your own life. And you got to address things in your life. And you got to maybe have conversations in relationships so that you can walk in unity with one another. It's painful. So you will experience pain in a process, but here's the promise that we have in the middle of that. Before we even get to the, the end goal, the payoff, the promise at the end, is that you can have access to peace. And peace has a name. His name is Jesus. And his presence is with you and for you in the middle of that process. And so Paul's talking here in Ephesians 4, and he's saying, look, you're in the middle of a process. It's challenging. It's real people, real problems, real challenges. It's difficult. You're going, man, I've got to struggle. I've got to struggle in my marriage. I've got to struggle in my finances. I've got to struggle with my kids. I've got to struggle in the season I'm in. I'd sure, I've got to struggle being single. I want to be married. I've got to struggle. I'm single again. I just went through a difficult divorce. Whatever it is, there is a struggle every single one of us face. There's a health struggle. There's a financial struggle. There's a job transition struggle, but you can grow through it. You can grow through it. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And he's going, okay, well, how do we do that? How do we make that progress? How do we do that? Now, remember, I shared with you Ephesians 3, the distribution model, the church. God's going to use us together as a church to make an impact and a difference. Ephesians 4 says, hey, there's this equipping. We're going to equip you for the work of the ministry. There's maturity that comes about. And so we're going to look in Ephesians 4 on basically the bookends of those scriptures that we looked at earlier on when we looked at Ephesians 4.12. We're going to start in Ephesians 4 verse 1 and then we're going to pick up in Ephesians 4.29. But here's what it says, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Here's what he's saying. There was a price that was paid for your life. And because there is a price that was paid for your life, there's a destiny and purpose and a calling on your life. You can live a life worthy of that. And he's going to begin to unpack how you begin to do that. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with, there it is, one another in love. Be humble and gentle. Be patient. Maybe you resonate with all three of those words. Maybe... There's one or two of those. I know humble, humble, man, that, okay, I got to be humble. Many of us know we should be humble, but oftentimes we, we probably walk in, in, in really just a humility that's kind of a false humility. I kind of say what I know I need to say, but I'm not really humble because we have enough EQ to go, well, I don't want to be prideful, but in reality, false humility is just another variation of pride. Or maybe gentle. Man, I don't want to, gentle, does that mean like I'm a doormat? That's because we don't understand what gentle means. Sometimes the greatest compliment, men, that you can get is that you're gentle. 
Now, you may have thought, wait, what? No, mm, I'm not gentle. I'm tough. You see me? I'm bad. You don't mess with me. Gentle, I am not. You don't know the definition of gentle. Gentle is strength under control. Jesus was the most gentle individual ever. What an example we have. There's no greater aim, honestly, I think for us as men. We think, oh, I'm going to be bad and tough. and then, No, be gentle. Strength under control. How about patient? Ooh, that touches me. Let me tell you something. Lord, help me. I need patience. You need it. We need it. And when we do this, we're able to bear with one another in love. And then he says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. You see, you don't have to earn or strive or, or, or make an effort to be saved. No, you don't. It's a free gift. But once you come to know the Lord, once you surrender your life to Christ, there is an effort that you have to make. You see, sometimes people misunderstand that. Well, I, don't, I shouldn't have to make an effort or strive for this or get better at that. No, 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 no. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, grace is not the opposite of effort. It's the opposite of earning. Grace, you are freely given. Jesus died on the cross for your salvation, for the redemption of your sins. You embrace that. You receive it. You, all, you don't have to earn it. You're just freely given it. But once you've come into that place, guess what Paul's saying? There's going to be an effort you got to make. Think about the relationships you got to put an effort in. For some of you, the greatest effort you got to make is with the one sitting next to you. Sometimes the effort you got to make is with a parent or a family member. Sometimes the effort you have to make is with a child that you've done everything you thought you should. And yet you're saying, son, daughter, go right. And they're like, do what? Yeah, left. It sounds good to me. You can make every effort. Why? Because what are you doing? To keep the unity. You can't earn it. You can't make it happen. You're not trying to con you know, construct it. There's a unity that we get. There's a peace that we gain from having Jesus. But there is a role that we play. So you're not a peacekeeper. You're a peacemaker. But when it comes to unity, you can keep unity. Well, how? We're going to look at that. We're going to unpack that a little bit through the words of Paul and what he says here. Because the reality is this, is that unity and having that unity, having that peace, having unity with others comes really in three aspects of our life. First is this, it's the church, God's house. You're saying, wait, wait, you mean I, I need to have, I need to make every effort for unity and I need, to, I need to have unity with others, with one another in the church? Absolutely. But here's the challenging part, is many people have experienced church hurt. You've been hurt by church. You've had trust broken by church, whether intentional or unintentional. And unfortunately, oftentimes for, for us as a team, for Wendy and I, the things that we help navigate people through more often than not is either hurt with biological family or hurt from spiritual family in church. That's the, painful, that's the painful aspect of it. But God's bigger than that. And God has a plan. And why? It's because he wants to use the church as the place in which you learn peace and unity and you experience that and what it looks like to love one another, walk in unity with one another. Think of it this way, because you've experienced hurt. We've all experienced hurt just in church. Let's talk church just for now. Oftentimes what happens is we live, we live walled off. Hey, how's it going? Bless the Lord. Stay right there. Don't come any closer. I see you. 
You're greeting me. You don't want to really greet me. What do you want from me? I don't know. Is that little guy up there talking with the microphone? Does he really mean what he said? I don't know. Is that really right? What's he talking about? Is that what Paul actually said in Ephesians? I don't know. That ain't true. I'm going to go and I'm going to look. You just keep people at arm's distance. But, but think of it this way. Here's a little analogy, illustration to help you understand maybe how to work through that. Some of you had kids, and, and you can remember the season with your kiddos, okay? When they were kind of younger, and they were, you know, just kind of learning how to eat solid foods, and they were like ninjas. And they may still be like ninjas, and they kind of sneak in, and they grab your water. They decide to take a sip of your water without you looking. Then you go to take a sip of your water. Yeah, you know where I'm going. And all of a sudden... You recognize and realize, I don't remember putting ice in my water, but there is something lumpy and crunchy in my water I just drank. And how many of you know your kids love you so much to just leave little surprises in your water? Well, what do you do? You take that water, you pour it out, and you're like, oh my God, that's disgusting, and you fill it up again. Never did you say after you drank water that your kids drank from and left the little floaties in, you never said, I'm never drinking water again. You just poured it out, refilled it. Or maybe you went and ate somewhere. We all love food. Some of you in here, you're foodies. I see your social media. It's pictures of your food and your family. That's basically it. I know where you're at and what you're eating, okay? <laughs> and we like food. It's good for the soul. We love it, but we've all had a bad meal before. But you never said, oh, I had a bad meal. I'm never eating food again. We don't do it with water and we don't do it with food, but it's amazing how we can do it with church. You have a bad experience and all of a sudden, you know, I'm throwing all that out the window. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with church. All they do is talk about this or talk about that or step on my toes and this, that, and the other. And they want to know blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, we throw it out and we miss out on where God is wanting us in the first place to experience unity with each other. But then the second place is this. It's in our home. You see, because once we experience in the church, what happens is it spills over and it impacts our home. And there's so many stories of families being restored and wives and husbands' marriages being restored and them experiencing God's presence together and they're praying together and they're leading. Not perfect, but God starts working and moving and God's working in, in their children's lives and their kids are getting involved or they're serving in Milestone Kids or they're coming to Elevate and they're going to Fall Retreat and God touches their life because here's the thing we want the most when we have kids. We want to make sure they know how to hear God's voice because one day they're going to leave our home. And you want them to know how to engage with the Word of God and you want them to know how to hear God's voice. But then once we've done it there and we begin to live it out, here's what begins to happen. It begins to impact the world and it impacts everywhere we go in everything we do, in every environment that we're in. And that's what begins to happen as we have unity with one another. But guess what? We got to fight for it. You got to pursue unity. And then Paul, we're going to pick up in verse 29 because he's about to make it real practical, but he's also about to set the standard pretty high. You may go, man, standard high, that's, it's unattainable. No, not perfect, just progress. But he's real honest, and he's really to the point about how we should interact with one another and the things that we should do and how we should respond. And here's what he says in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Remember, he's saying, I want you to make every effort to love one another. I want you to make every effort to live in unity. I I want you to make, and how are we going to do that? Well, watch the words that are coming out of your mouth. What are the words that are coming out of your mouth to the people around you, to your spouse, to the ones around you? And look, he's not talking about being boring. Have fun. You know, he's not talking about you got to like quote scripture every day, all day long, and that's all that you can do and say, and it's got to be like in the King James Version, thou, thus, all. Okay, and that's not what he's saying. There wasn't even a King James Version when he wrote this, okay? He's saying, let words of encouragement come out of you. Maybe even laugh a little. You know, I saw this, this uh, statistic this past week. Kids laugh 300 times a day. Adults laugh five. You need to laugh a little more. I promise you, you should laugh at yourself a little bit more. There's a lot to laugh at, okay? I mean, I get up in the morning, I'm like, hey, you're a funny guy, man. You need to do something about that. Okay, we got to work on some of that over there. All right? Like, when did that happen? How did that grow there? When did that leave? I thought it was growing, and now it's gone. What happened, you know? It's like all of that stuff. Just laugh. That's good for the soul. That's what he's talking. He's, he's not saying, oh, you got to be boring and mundane. He's saying, no, I want the words that come out of your mouth. I want them to build other people up. That they're bene- it's beneficial for their needs. So it's not manipulation. You're not saying things that you think other people want to hear so they will do what you want them to do. He's saying, no, no, no. What are the words you're speaking that's beneficial for them? How are you building them up? That's the goal. That's the words that you need to speak. I, I get it. You know, tough love and people go, ah, oh, it's tough love. I get tough love, okay? And I've had conversations with people before. Tough love's good. Tough love is not tough love when you're going, man, you're this, you're that. That's not tough love. That's belittling, and it's unkind. Here's what tough love is. Tough love is truth in love. So it's, hey, that's not you. Here's who you are. Let me speak to who you are. Let me speak to where you're going. Let me speak to how you can get there. Look, don't I, I mean, I do it with my own kids, and maybe you do it. Hey, you did this, but that's not who you are. You're a wise little girl. That's why we're not going to act like that. You did this, but that's not who you are. This is who you are. So there's a consequence for that. We're not going to do that. That's tough love. So I get tough love, but sometimes we call tough love, what we call tough love is just belittling and discouragement. When really what it needs to be is actually tough love. That's what Paul's saying. And then he says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does that mean? He's saying grieve. Grieve means to bring sorrow, to bring pain, to experience those things. Then he's actually saying when you're not building someone up, you're actually grieving the Holy Spirit. You're actually not operating the way that he would want you to operate in. And then he goes on and gives a list here, and he starts kind of unpacking this in verse 31. And he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. You see, it's really simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy. But sometimes we get this backwards. Rather than caring about the things and the, or the, the thoughts and the opinions of those that we love the most, we care more about what other people think. Penn University, the psychology department, actually did a study. And they did a study on the effects of bitterness and slander and the opinions of others. And this is what they found. 
that the majority of people, overwhelmingly, the people that they interviewed, cared more about the opinions of people they never met than the people that, that mean the most to them. Because we live in a world where we think that if all these accolades and all the likes and clicks and follows and all the blah, 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 blah is going to bring a measure of validation. But in reality, we're missing the thing that really matters the most. You see, because here's what I know, and you know it if, if you've been faced with this. When you're faced with eternity's doorstep, or a loved one you know is faced with eternity's doorstep, all the conversations, all the arguments, all the things where you didn't see eye to eye, they go out the door because you're focused on what matters. You're focused on how did we live our life, and how did we build a relationship, and how did we pursue and fight for unity with each other? So how do we do that? What does that look like? I'm going I'm to give you just the next few minutes. I'm going to give you some practical things to help you to, to go. Here's what it can look like to fight for unity and live, in uni live united in unity with each other. First is this. We build up others and we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. See, most people start with, I would do this if someone did it for me. I, I would build other people up. And I would encourage, if someone did that for me, then I would do that. That's not even, that's not even biblical. That's where most of us start, but that's not, that's not the example Jesus gave. That's not what his word says. He's like, hey, just build up. What does it mean to build up? It means to encourage. It means to speak life. I love the word encourage. It actually means to pour, the picture is to pour courage into somebody. I just want to encourage you. I want to speak life to you. I want to build you up. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to build you up to give you strength for the struggle because we all have a struggle. It's crazy. It's funny. There's times where, where, you know, when I'm working out with this group of guys and we kind of, we're doing this thing where we're all kind of like, you know, feeling real powerful about ourselves. We're like, you know, max effort, PR, you know, and, and like lifting heavy weight. Man, we get in there, we're yelling, jumping up and down, slapping each other. You thought we was in high school, man, you know, just back in the day, you know. But what are we doing? We're building each other up because let me tell you something. When you're lifting heavy weight, it's a struggle, and sometimes you don't make it. Sometimes you bail on the lift and you fail and you don't get it. But you know what? There's a group of people around you that build you up. Like, hey, next time, it's all right. Boom, high five. Let's go. Get after it. And all of a sudden, you know what you have? Strength for the struggle. Man, I just failed. But you know what? I'm going to get back under that weight and I'm going to do it again. You see, that's what happens when you build people up. You build people up. But we hedge on that. We hedge because we think, man, I, I don't want them to get too prideful about themselves. I mean, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta hold them down, you know what I mean? They got, you know. Or, or we think, man, if I build someone up and I speak life and I encourage in that way, man, what if they don't recognize the wrong that they've done to me? Well, that's where grieving the Holy Spirit comes in. You see, Jesus even referred to this in John 16. Here's what he said. Jesus says, and he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, the Holy Spirit is really good at his job. He's really good at his job. He will convict. What would happen in the conversations if you invited and recognized that the Holy Spirit wants to be a part of that conversation? What would you say and what would you not say? How would you say it? You see, the Holy Spirit's really, you don't have to convict or control anyone of their wrongdoing. The Holy Spirit will do it. But then now that unpack that and travel that, you follow that bunny path down. Really what that comes down to is I don't trust God. I don't trust God to do what he is going to do. 
So he needs my help to let that person know a little bit about themselves. Mm, yeah, all, all, the, all the ones in here going, mm, that's you. You're the one that going, let me, I'm going to be the Holy Spirit for everyone, okay? And you this, 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 okay? That, that's, that's, that's what it's like. And look, I, I'm married to someone like that, okay? She's a love biscuit to let me know, okay? But we, look, our job is not to be the Holy Spirit. Our job is to build up. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict. He'll speak. And you want to know how I know that? Is even when we're far off, the Holy Spirit still works. Well, I mean, they're not a believer. They don't know Jesus. The Holy Spirit worked on you and convicted you before you were a believer. He ain't going to do that for them. Let's unpack that some more. You don't trust God and the Holy Spirit to do a work in that person's life. Why? Because that person probably hurt you, and you're going, I need to defend myself, and I need to make sure they know how they hurt me. You see, because here's what it leads to. It, it then leads to the next thing. If you're going to live in unity with one another, you've got to recognize this, that we've got to deal with our garbage instead of dumping it on others. We all got garbage. We all got stuff. And none of us like garbage, do you? It's nasty. You're like, it's amazing how what was on your plate five seconds ago that was the most amazing thing you ate went from your plate into that trash can. All of a sudden, you get it on you. You're like, ah! It's search. I mean, it's like it was amazing five seconds ago when it was on your plate. Now it's the most disgusting thing with so much bacteria that all of a sudden now you're going to have a disease and all your fingers are going to fall off. We all got garbage. We all got stuff. It's okay to be bitter. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be hurt. But guess what? You got to deal with it. You got to process through it. Not back the truck up, boop, 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 you know, back end loader and just dump it on people. We all know people like that. Dump their stuff. Dump their stuff on others. Dump their stuff all over social media. Dump theirs. And what ends up happening is they felt bitter or they were bitter. They were frustrated. They felt like they were slandered on. And all they're doing now is let me just start slandering someone else. What would happen if you stopped a minute? And you said, how can I build someone up? What if you stopped just a minute and said, hey, what can I do in this moment rather than slander or be bitter and be upset and offended? What if I just stopped a minute and I asked the Lord to do a work inside of me and I operated with self-control? You see, we live in a culture of oversharing. Let me just put it all out there in the interwebs for everyone to see. Let me just, blah, here's where I'm at and here's what I'm wrestling through. And we think just because we're open about it, that that's going to be the pathway to heal. Now, I, and don't hear what I'm not saying. You need to be open to the right person. You want to know who you share with? You share with someone who's going to help you with your perspective because you don't see it correctly. And when they help you with your perspective, then you can walk in it differently so that you can respond in it correctly rather than react in an inordinate way. So we got to deal with our garbage rather than dump it on people. But then that leads to the aspect of part of what's in that Garbage bag is wounds and hurt. And if we're going to walk unified with people, if we're going to walk in unity with each other, then we have to genuinely forgive others because we received it from Jesus. You see, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not conforming. Forgiveness is not even restoration. Forgiveness is reconciliation. When I forgive because the Lord has commanded me to forgive, I forgive that person who's wronged me. And that puts me in right standings with the Lord. Now, sometimes that process of reconciliation results in restoration with somebody. 
kind of goes back to the way things were, and it's not awkward, and you can have conversations. You may even interact and hang out, but sometimes it doesn't. Someone did something to you in such a way that you're going, hey, you ain't coming over for barbecues anymore, man. It's just not going to happen. That's okay. When you have first reconciled and forget, but most of us go, oh, you just ain't coming over. I don't know, you dead to me. Cancel. You gone. Dead to me. I mean, think about the phrases that we throw out to people. The way we operate inside our own soul and in our heart. You see, forgiveness was freely given to you. And you received it. So think about when you were furthest from God, how Jesus met you where you were at, loved you, forgave you, and brought you near. What would begin to happen? How would you see the person that hurt you the most differently? In fact, I want you to think about it. Think about the person that's hardest for you to forgive. Think about that individual. person that's hardest for you to forgive. What do you feel when you think about that person? What do you feel? Now, we're not led by our feelings. We're not ruled by our feelings, but we need to listen to them. The same way it's okay to be frustrated or bitter or hurt but we still, we have to deal with it. We have to walk through it. How do you feel when you think about that person that's the hardest person for you to forgive? The person that hurt you more than anyone else. And what would happen if you began to see that person and think of that person through the lens of Jesus and how he saw you and loved you and forgave you? You see, we all have people that have hurt us before. But really, you're going to know, did I check the box? Did I get what I came for? Did I, did I really learn what it looks like to live united? I mean, I like, I like being strong in the Lord. I like that one. Armor of God, that's kind of cool. I, I relate to that. I want some armor. I, I like being seated with Jesus because I love the fact that I now know that I'm in Christ and I'm included with Christ. I belong and I have identity and I can know him. But I like all that. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I want to be equipped. I want to be a part of something. We want to be a part of a winning team. Let's keep reaching people, building lives. I like that. But whoa, time out. United with others? I don't know. Forgive? Not defend myself and operate with self-control and not feel like I have to speak up? You mean build others up and, and be aware of how I'm operating? I don't know. But if you want to grow, you're going to have to embrace the uncomfortable. You're going to have to embrace the struggle. And for most of us, this is where the struggle's at. And the reason is because the struggle has a name. And the struggle has a face. But so does hope. And his name is Jesus.